This is Plan B, episode 14, for July 9th, 2013. And welcome to Plan B, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show contemplating the future and present of Bitcoin with insights for the novice, shop talk for the expert, and an opinionated discussion for the interested observer of Bitcoin and related technologies. My name is Chris, and joining me every single week is my co-host, Drew. Hello, how's it going? Oh, I'm, I'm great. I'm, uh, I'm sitting here in the very warm Pacific Northwest. It's actually only about 85 in my office right now, but you... You are the one that impresses me this week because uh, you're calling in from a new secret location while on vacation. Indeed, yes. Just... With my microphone strapped to my pillows on my lap. Here we go. <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of a, a, a cattywampus setup, you might say. <laughs> Indeed, yes. You know, I was actually just impressed because last week I found out after the show, after we got uh, done recording, that you were like sitting in like a 100 degree room, not exaggerating at all. It, it and, was 105 that day, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and you, you had to turn off your air conditioning for the quality of the audio because of the fan noise and you were you were literally you were drenching your shirt and then wearing a wet shirt during the show <laughs> it didn't even work it usually works out okay but it did uh, you know about halfway through i was gonna i was getting a little uh whew. well <laughs> guess what Drew, to make up for you guess what i'm doing today huh gonna bring what? a big show oh what a big big show big, what? big show yeah. oh uh, so we've got a good collection. Drew went through and got a, a bunch of great emails this week. There's been some big news, including some big changes at the Bitcoin Foundation. Uh, we're not even like uh, kidding when we say big changes at the Bitcoin Foundation, but as big as they can get. Uh, also, some um, well-respected and well-beloved uh, web financers, people that help independent media publishers uh, finance their work, have started accepting Bitcoin. We're going to talk about that. And then what happens if the government really does crack down on Bitcoin exchanges? There might be an alternative out there, another way we can continue as free people to trade our Bitcoins. We'll talk about that and the major reaction the Winklevoss twins have been getting from the finance press. And I'll just say this, it has been brutal. I I, I'll, I got a couple of clips for you and we got a couple of quotes we're going to play. It's it's not looking good for the Winklevoss twins. Uh, but it's, you know, it's funny because the Bitcoin press uh, has been actually uh, quite positive to the to the announcement. Some people think it's actually going to be the end of Bitcoin, too. So there's a lot of controversy going around that uh, that uh, Winklevoss uh, fund that we announced or that was announced last week that we covered. So we'll talk about all of that. But Drew, Drew, mm-hmm. first, as is perdition on the Plan B show. Feedback. As perdition, fe- yep, yep, feedback, feedback, feedback. And it starts with perhaps our shortest email yet. Oh, thank you, guys. I know, because <laughs> we've gotten some long ones. <laughs> there and- are some huge ones in the mailbox. <laughs> so Peter writes in with uh, what he calls just a simple question. Is Bitcoin mining still worth it and i think one of the answers is neither neither of us mine bitcoins currently but i am number 50 in the current queue for the usb block eruptors so this should ship today or tomorrow so next week i'll start mining with those but uh i don't know if there's any i don't know if you know gpu mining or anything like that specifically is really profitable unless you're projecting that the price of bitcoins are going to skyrocket you know in the near future I guess that would be the one thing is if uh, if you could uh, if you had extremely cheap access to power or free, you had hardware that you were uh, able to utilize that was you know current generation GPUs, and you were hedging that even one Bitcoin could be worth a ton of money. Then yes, you could say it's still worth it. Uh, I would believe 
I, I believe it's it, it's not anymore, uh, at least not for us average consumers. Maybe if you're a professional miner, um, and even with ASICs, it's still gonna be it's still gonna be you know peanuts compared to what the big guys can get. Uh, I think Drew and I make this suggestion a lot, but as in the last recent weeks, as Bitcoin's price has been going crazy, Litecoin has really been the place to play to make profit. And uh, we'll have we have a voicemail that uh, we're going to play that uh, kind of uh, describes this a little bit. Actually, should I just why don't I just play our our uh, our voicemail? Might as well fits in. Yeah, yeah, it does. It fits in really well. So uh, we call I called him LTC Watcher in uh, Woodville, Ohio. Hey guys, love the show, keep it up. I uh, just um, wanted to mention as this price is dropping, I was finding it interesting that um, the LTC is dropping as well, the Litecoin, but but the Bitcoin to Litecoin ratio is actually going up. So um, what I'm finding is the Litecoin, the, the, the Litecoin that I bought with my Bitcoin are actually, I'm getting more Bitcoin back if I sell it back now, so I'm kind of hedging against my Bitcoin that are going down value, but if I convert my Litecoin back to Bitcoin back to, you know, fiat still, I would actually, uh, I wouldn't see any losses. So finding an interesting, um, uh, that, that interesting sort of correlation between that hedge, and, and this is why I've always thought that a competing of currency is important. So that uh, not all eggs are in one crypto basket. But uh, anyway, keep up the great show and just um, thought that was uh, yeah an interesting uh, interesting little thing while watching this uh, price fluctuate um, below 70 now. Okay, bye. <laughs> He's watching the price below 70. Well, good news, it's back up from there. Uh, and, uh, you know, if it was a little hard, maybe for some of you to understand what he's essentially saying is he's picking the right times to he transfers his Bitcoin into Litecoin, hangs out there for a while. And then if things start to shift the other direction, he, in some cases, has ended up buying more Bitcoin with that Litecoin than what he put in to get the Litecoin, right? Did I, is that essentially what you got? Yeah, yeah, trip? pretty much. Yeah, he's just going back and forth, you know, not going from Litecoin to USD to Bitcoin, but he's just going back and forth. And, and I noticed that weird thing as well when, when Bitcoin was dropping and Litecoin was kind of staying stable, that uh, the price, you know, um, uh, Litecoin per Bitcoin was, was increasing uh, pretty good. Yeah, Crash Benedict in our chat room says people need to stop speculating with Bitcoin and start using it as money. And... I kind of agree. I, I, I don't know if it's as hardlined. I I hope and I think, you know, I'm obviously biased because this is my approach is I have some set aside for speculation and I have some set aside that I try to spend every single week um, in the Bitcoin economy. Every week I try to buy something with Bitcoin just to, well, for one, because I want to share my experiences on the show, honestly. And two, because I just I'm trying to put it back in, into the economy. And in our pick section later at the end of the show, I have found a great service that is extremely useful for me, and I think it could be out there for a lot of people, that it's it's also beneficial to be anonymous, and they uh, a lot of them, but one I like a lot, has started accepting Bitcoin. So that, that'll be our pick, speaking of putting things back into the economy. So I think there's a little bit of room to be a hoarder, but to also spend it. And, you know, it's sort of like what a person who saves money, just regular fiat. You you have a savings and then you have a checking and you spend certain amounts out of your checking and then you, you know, save more in your savings account. That's essentially the approach I'm taking with my Bitcoin. And right yep. now I'm just sitting on all my Litecoins. Yeah, same here. I'm sitting on them and slowly losing them as I, I trade <laughs> incorrectly. <laughs> and I, I still think that, you know, if you've got a few GPU cycles to spare uh, and, you know, cheap access to power, uh, you might consider mining Litecoin and uh, maybe not focus so much on Bitcoin right now for mining purposes. At least that seems to be the way the winds are blowing. Next yeah, and my know, thing was heat. Like, power didn't matter, but man, the, the heat, you know, coming into summer and mining, like, it, it would make sense because, I mean, it, yep. it's going to, you know, have a, a second, you know, uh, yep. 
like benefit. You know, when you're running it in the winter, you're good. But the yeah. thing about the like the USB ASIC stuff is is they're so they're so cheap. They, they run, I guess, relatively cool. I haven't really I haven't seen I haven't gotten mine yet. But uh, I mean, at at the wattage that they're running, you can just you know put them in Raspberry Pi in a random room with a Wi-Fi adapter, leave them there for a couple years, and you're not really pulling that much power. It's like you know yeah. an LED light bulb yeah. that you got running out in the front porch. See, this is this is what's this is what's great about Asics. Um, it's funny because they're actually stirring up controversy right now. People think that uh, there's a school of thought that Asics are going to bring ultimate centralization because it's within the reach of somebody who can get access to manufacturing and somebody who has the price to uh, to centralize with a bunch of ASICs. I don't necessarily agree with that line of thinking because I actually think ASICs are going to lead to the greatest decentralization that Bitcoin has seen, but we'll see, potentially not. However, I'll tell you, I am down to probably one room in my house right now that I would be comfortable running any kind of mining during the summer. And it's funny, in the winter, I'm all about it. I mean, I've got maybe one or two rigs in the studio when possible, and I can mine. And it's for me, it's a win-win because uh, the equipment seems to work better if the temperature doesn't change a lot out in the studio. When it gets cold, like I swear, I know it sounds crazy, but my preamps need to be adjusted. My my board doesn't work the same way. Uh, you know, you know, everything just operates differently. But if, if everything stays, if all the electronics stay a steady temperature. Like the studio is more reliable. So for me, it's like a win-win because I'm mining and I'm keeping the studio at a nice average temperature. But in the summertime, you know, it's it's 85 degrees in that room right now without even any mining going on at all. Yeah, no way. So I, I hope something like those USB, I'm really curious to see how your USB eruptors work out. And then I'll buy the next generation and then rub it in your face. Yeah, well, they, they have a, I think they have a pretty big queue going on right now. Yeah, so they do. I only got three coming, but uh, yeah. they should be coming soon. We're going to talk about the, uh, you know, I might as well just mention it now because it's just so ridiculous. It, it, it is a thorn in my side. Uh, Butterfly Labs. You know, I've pre-ordered yeah. uh, the 30 gigahash unit, which is now what, 25 gigahashes actually. Uh, they're into uh, their September 20th, 2012 order state, um, which is essentially their day one orders. They're still on their day one orders right now. Yeah, that, that that that's something that I didn't realize that they were that far behind, and essentially making no, you know, making no headway into any days beyond that point. That 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 sucks. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I would not be happy if I put a pre-order. In I'm going to be honest. I kind of suspected this was the case because here's why, right? If you think about it, just like for any consumer electronics device where there's demand, your day one sales might be your biggest peak. So they might have had fifty yeah. percent of their orders or something on day one. That's a good point. Yep, that's a good point. But what what is not really going so well is the continued reaction and interaction that some of the guys like BFL Josh, he just uh, recently gave a, basically a really short sort of snide response to uh, probably a question he gets 100 times a day. But of course, that snide response ends up going on the Bitcoin subreddit. And gets voted up to the, so it's like the number three or four link on the Bitcoin subreddit for that day. And, you know, it's his quote of basically being a jackass to somebody. And then that goes on all of these aggregator sites, then report on Bitcoin news, which then goes out onto Twitter and then people start retweeting. And within two hours, Butterfly Labs once again has another customer service scandal on their hands because, you know, people are pissed off and they say, they say just the right things to throw gasoline on the fire. What, what, uh, do, do you have what he said? I didn't see what, what he said specifically. I just saw complaints about it. Um, it was essentially the uh, update is, you know, the status of the shipping is the same as it was last time you asked me. If you want a different answer, then just stop asking because I'm just going to keep telling you the same thing. Um, and we're not going to give you specifics of how many we're shipping every single day. 
I've been in the shoes, you know, when you want to do that kind of response. But uh, yeah, of course, of course, especially within the position that they're in, you know, you can't do that. Yeah, you, you really you really got to watch out because the community can uh, can turn fast. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and especially when people are, are, are watching their value, the return on value they're going to get from these units decline every single week. And that's going to be making people a lot more upset, I would think, especially since you have, you know, these USB things, you know, on the side. That, you know, that you can just get, like, I just ordered, you know, like on the, you know, on the fly, just randomly. I was like, oh, look at that. They're, they're well, available. Boom. Ordered them. That does surprise me. I didn't really see that coming, to be honest. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, right. You know what? It, it shows a bit of naivety in the Bitcoin community that, I, I mean, honestly, one of the reasons I bought a Butterfly Labs unit was because I knew they were going to screw this thing up. And I wanted to be able to have that sort of. Oh, the clout. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I, and I wanted, to actually, to, I wanted to have that personal relationship to the issue so that way I could talk about it on the show. I didn't right. I didn't order one of these until we decided to do this show. Right? And then I said, "All right, well, if we're going to do a show about Bitcoin, I need to have one of these things so this, if these things if I knew if they worked, they'd be big and if they screwed it up, it'd be big." Right now I think they're going to screw it up. I wouldn't be surprised if we're doing this in 2014 and I still don't have my unit. Neither would I. Uh, and by yeah. that point, it you know it's going to need to be a 300 giga hash unit. For it to make I know, right? Just to make up for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. So yeah, I understand why people get upset. All right. Well, uh, Tom wrote in to the uh, Plan B show, Plan B at JupiterBroadcasting.com. He says, "Hey, I know you like to show off what can be accepted with Bitcoin, and I'm not sure if this was ever on your show. I thought it was pretty cool. Wikispeed.com. It's an open source car. They're a nonprofit, and they accept Bitcoin." I found it interesting since it's not software, but open source, and they're into Bitcoin. That is really cool. How about that? Wikispeed.com. You heard of this? Oh, yeah, man. I was, I was up and down our website all day today. And I, I'd seen it last week, but I went back to check it out. 150 miles an hour, zero to 60 in five seconds. Uh, the, the car itself isn't... Uh, they, they had a video of a guy driving around in one. It wasn't... Uh, the suspension didn't look very good, but uh, <laughs> it's a nice little beta. They're trying to get it down to 17,000 for the production unit, so they got like 10 of these... Uh, uh, of of the betas that they're they're trying to get rid of, but uh, apparently they developed the car within three months, and they're they're selling them for, or you can actually fund them with Bitcoin. Check that out! Cool. How cool is that? That that'll be. I can imagine having like an open source car because they have different. You can keep the same chassis and drop just like a, a truck body onto it. I, you I've, just, I've that's talked to. A, sweet. Uh, I had a client, and the uh, IT guy there uh, worked at. There's a there's a a, a, a shop by uh, in a town called Lidwood, not too far from my house. And they're working on an open source car as well. In fact, I was talking about coming in there shooting a segment for the Linux Action Show. Oh. Because they're down there, they're using uh, Linux on some of the uh, machines that they have hooked up to equipment, and then they've got all of the specs. They're all available online for everything. It's really neat. I think, you know, perfect thing, an open source. I've, I have thought open source, regardless if it's open hardware, which is going to be more and more of a thing, right? Or if it's, if it's open source software, seems like an open source money is the perfect match. Yeah, all three match made in heaven. Or if you're Edward Snowden, and I mean that seriously, <laughs> like he could be holed up in a Russian airport right now accepting Bitcoin donations. I bet you he'd make a total metric S ton of Bitcoin oh, and then yeah. he could cash that out. I don't know. I, I you got to you got to figure maybe one of those online chats, he could have slipped in a Bitcoin address. Yeah, he should have done something like that because that, yeah. that would have been a great way for you know to get some funding to help him out. There actually is a NSA whistleblower who's in jail because... When you are an NSA whistleblower and you follow the system, that's what happens. You end up in jail or you end up with your life ruined. Um, he is currently receiving Bitcoin donations, which oh, is yeah, really I saw neat. That. Yeah, that's really it's a, it's a you know it's a way for people to be able to vote with money, which 
as somebody, you know, as a, so this show takes um, donations as a thank you for doing it. We don't have a sponsor right now, but we have uh, addresses and barcodes in our show notes that you can tip us to thank us for doing the show. And, you know, I can get 100 emails every day saying, thanks so much for doing the show. I really appreciate it. But when somebody actually trades value for your show, it really does make it feel like your show has value. Like there's this un, there's just this psych, psychological link when you when you receive a monetary contribution for your work. It really it, it really means somebody. It really mattered to somebody. And so when you when you are somebody maybe like an NSA whistleblower who's being oppressed by an entire system by and by the media, and you are being you know drugged through the dirt, to be able to have the people directly send you something. And for them to be able to be anonymous and protected is, you know, assuming they did things as safely as possible. That's a game changer. And I see this even today with BitMessage. I'm getting, I'm getting five, six, seven, eight, nine bit messages a day, maybe even more now. And this is a brand new system. And, and a lot of it are from people outside the U.S. who are concerned about being monitored. And just having a system for them to communicate is allowing them to communicate more they're doing they're saying more things they're talking more because there's sort of this weight lifted off of them they know that they're in the clear and it's the same thing with uh, monetary contributions to guys like edward snowden or any other nsa whistleblower i think it's a really big deal and while maybe this is an open source car accepting donations the ramifications go from something like that all the way to somebody like snowden yeah, the same principle is applying across all yeah. these completely different aspects of things. Yeah, it's just a fundamental, and Bitcoin is a fundamental enabler for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's why one of the reasons I love it. Oh, yeah. All right, next email, and uh, our last email question for the day. Comes in from Blake, and he says, uh, you could have Bitcoin, you could have a Bitcoin cash system by creating a paper wallet with an amount on it. One Bitcoin, or whatever amount you want. And you just put a sticker over a private key, and then you turn the paper to the digital currency. You can turn that paper into digital currency uh, with the private key to your personal wallet. If the sticker is not intact, you would not accept the bill. To fix a minor profit issue, we would need to get the market-style transaction fee fixed. That way, miners set their fees so that they can cover the cost of a 25 Bitcoin reward that the 25 Bitcoin reward doesn't cover. So uh, what Blake is talking about here, I have seen concepts of this, is... One of the great things about Bitcoin is it actually does work in paper form too, right? You could put that address code or a QR barcode on a piece of paper. You can transfer money to that address. The network then registers that transfer in the blockchain. And then the next time you bring that paper wallet online by scanning that in and, you know, setting it back, setting it back up in app uh, or app, um, you know, armory or whatever you use, you essentially have just taken advantage of paper money with Bitcoin. You following me? Yep. Yep. So this is so what Blake is talking about. I I think could happen. One of the remember we had a quote from Ron Paul who said, uh, uh, "Bitcoin seems interesting, but I don't really trust anything that I can't throw in my pocket." Right. Yeah, it's intangible. Yeah, you you really actually could. You right, would just assume, you would just the 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 really the coin right a dime doesn't actually yeah. contain any value. We just assign that value to a dime or a quarter. Right, and there's going to be you know an assignment of a Bitcoin value to just a, a new alphanumeric string, an address, yeah, or a private key. You could have that on a on a bill, right? You print it out, you print out your own money paper bills, and you just print out if you've got money in your Bitcoin wallet, 
Uh, you use Armory and it prints out the paper wallet money and you put that in your wallet and you could actually, you could have, you know, different Bitcoin denominations and different addresses. I don't know. Different colored papers means different amounts. You could do all kinds of things. I think there's going to be, I think you're going to see businesses prop up around just doing this. They'll probably do something completely like integrated. Like they'll have an online Coinbase. Take Coinbase. Coinbase could get into this. You could go to Coinbase and say, all right, Coinbase, I've got uh, five Bitcoin in my uh, wallet you guys have. Uh, convert that to paper cash and mail it to me. Yep. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. So, uh, good thoughts, Blake. And uh, we'd love to hear, uh, your, uh, your ideas, your thoughts. In fact, Drew, mm -hmm. do you encourage people to con uh, contribute their emails and their voicemails? Uh, I created something. You ready for this? Well, I didn't create it, but I had an idea. Mm -hmm. I created a little, uh, send us your uh, feedback bump. You hear that? Right. How fancy is that? <laughs> There you go. All right. So we'd like you to email us plan B at jupiterbroadcasting.com or call the show and leave us a voicemail 1 352 587 5262. That's 1 352 58 plan B. See, and when I got music playing like that, it sticks in your mind. 1 352 True, yeah. 58 plan B. You can text us, you can call us, and we could use your help coming up over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be uh, hunkered down with uh, a new baby anytime. I'm sort of in that zone. Could happen any moment. So we could really use your help spreading the word about the show, rating it in iTunes, commenting it, sending it around to people, linking it in different subreddits when relevant information comes up. Anything you can do to help spread the word to the Bitcoin enthusiasts. Because not that we have a lot of time for marketing now, but we're going to have even less time when the new baby arrives. So I could use your help with that. Indeed. And see, to relay that, I went and got this music. Which come on, uh, that just I feel shows your sincerity. Yeah, that through. shows my that shows my sincerity in the matter. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank, a special thank you to Mr. Ronald Jenkins. All right, Drew, I want to get into a couple of discussion pieces. Uh, there, there was some big news we should cover before we get into the uh, juicy sort of rumor. Uh, he said, she said stuff. Which in Bitcoin, never right? No, never. All right, uh, big news broke yesterday. I think new executive director of the Bitcoin Foundation. Dun, 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 dun. Now, we don't have like a new uh, director horn because, well, why would we? Uh, his name is going to be, his name is John, oh man, I've never had to say his last name out loud. Matanus? Yeah, that sounds right. Matanus. Matanus? Yeah. He's actually pretty well known. He's served as an advocate for Bitcoin and uh, he's also been uh, referred to as somebody people can use as insightful on cryptocurrencies in general, not just Bitcoin. Uh, he's also got a finance head on him prior to assuming his position as executive director. John served as the board of directors for the Bitcoin Foundation. He's currently a regular contributor to Forbes, and he is the editor of the Monetary Future uh, and Economics blog. And uh, he also has a passion for understanding the ins and outs of Bitcoin itself. So he's got, he's got, a, he's got a bit of a resume on him. Uh, he's, uh, he's also a contributor to the Bitcoin magazine. He's on the editorial board. I don't know if he actually writes for him, but I know he's on the editorial board, which is, uh, I love the Bitcoin magazine. Uh, he's contributed articles to their print magazine. Prior to getting uh, heavily involved in Bitcoin currency, John served as the CEO of Hushmail. He was the chief uh, FX dealer at Visa as well. I don't know what an FX dealer is, but... Yeah, me neither, but uh, Hushmail, you know, some crypto in there. Hushmail is not bad, yeah. Prior to accepting the new appointment of the executive director of the Bitcoin Foundation, John was a board member uh, holding the role of board secretary. So he's been involved for a while. And the actual reasons for the, for the sort of the shakeup, why they're, why they're swapping out the executive position haven't really come out. There's some rumor, um, some legal stuff, some legal rumors floating around, but they have, we haven't actually gotten an official confirm any official reason from the Bitcoin foundation as of the time of this recording. Uh, he wrote in, on his blog, we have this linked in the show notes. One of my primary near term, near term objectives 
for the foundation is to become more inclusive of the various constituencies within the global Bitcoin community. I think global is a key word there. We will involve, this will involve being more responsive and to communicate with member requests. It will also involve being more open to internationalization. Currently, 60% of the foundation's membership is non-U.S. based, and we need to do a better job of behaving like a global organization. To this end, we will hold the next Bitcoin conference outside of the United States. We will sign on local foundation chapters in several countries where interested parties have taken the lead on expanding the principles of Bitcoin in their region. Well, what do you think of that, Drew? He's saying we need to look outside the U.S., Next conference outside the U.S. I, I like that. It, I mean, it's hard to tell from a, you know for us on the inside to, to see you know how much you know press and how much activity is going on with Bitcoin in the U.S. relative to the, you know the rest of the world and all that. So it, it looks like it's. Gonna, I mean, it works for me. Yeah, Sounds I agree good. with you there. I, I like think. It. Do you think it's also sort of a reaction to the potentially hostile oh, government the legal situation? Stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it might be. Maybe they, <laughs> to some degree, feel the U.S. could possibly be lost in that regard, at, at least to some extent, and maybe want to target some, you know, different markets for that kind of stuff. That's what I'm wondering. <clears throat> that's sort of, uh, that's sort of, I think, looking far, a little into it. I mean, I think one of the, one of the things we've had this, we've had this price situation in the, uh, in the last, uh, couple of weeks really started when Gox started having a lot of issues, the Dwala shutdown, the, the, with the disabling of USD withdrawals. But then also there was a series of bad press. There's been a few things. Uh, there's, also, there's also the miners just simply cashing out to buy ASICs. You have just a lot of things going on right now. Right, right, yeah. And so the price of Bitcoin has been sliding downwards. And I think one of the reasons it hasn't completely collapsed, like some of the, some of the haters have been saying, oh, we're going... To, some people... We're saying last week, and we didn't really get into them, but some people are saying it's going down to $30, right? That could, uh, we still, I say we don't know. We don't know yet. So what happens sometimes in, uh, in you know, when you have a big bubble like we had uh, a few months ago is then you sort of have this really, really long-term correction where these these little sort of traps that, sh- that, that, that pop up, the price goes up for a little bit, people buy in, and then it drops down again. Um, and then it kind of does that a few more times. We could be in one of those situations. We might not be. It's, we won't know if it gets up to around 90, hundred again, I'm going to say we're out of it, but I'd say right now we're one or two big, bad news stories from it sliding back down again, or Gox having another issue. Yeah. I feel the same. It's kind of, it, we're kind of on a very tight rope <laughs> watching the price here. Yeah. You know? But I think one of the reasons why it hasn't been a total disaster is really because I think, well, this is so obvious. I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say it out loud, but Bitcoin is global, and the fact that Gox has been having so many problems in the U.S. is, it's a problem for Bitcoin, but it goes to show you how it's, it, the fact that it's a, it's, a, it's a world currency is also saving it, because it's not dependent on the U.S. market. Right, right. Any, any significant events that can occur within a single market won't affect it across the whole thing, because it has a bunch of stuff that, you know, that losses or, or, or problems can be distributed across. And so I think it's real smart. For the Bitcoin Foundation to be saying to be recognizing this, I mean, so the foundation, you know, they they at this point it's very early for the foundation, and right now they're they're benevolent, and they seem to have very good intentions. So I'm I'm, I'm I know there's a few folks out there who uh, they feel like the foundation is the beginning of centralization, and they feel like it sort of goes against sort of the ethos of what Bitcoin is supposed to be. Yeah, but they're not excluding anybody else from from operating, uh, you know, something like a, a different form of a foundation, you know, trying to achieve the same goals. They're not, you know, excluding anybody from doing that. 
Right. And so it is kind of some, some degree of centralization, but I mean, there, there's no mandatory nature for it. Like, yeah. And the thing is, if you're going to have, if you're going to have an economy that's dependent on, on a technology, this is why there's a Linux foundation for Linux. You need to have, you need, people need to have certain assurances that people are going to be watching out keeping things going, taking care of the legal matters, organizing the community, paying the core developers, making sure that the people who are our experts on Bitcoin can remain working on Bitcoin. Because wouldn't that be awful if, 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 if Gavin's you know, main gig was developing some .NET application for some back-end system at some large e-commerce site or something? Yeah. We, want, we want his full-time job to be working on Bitcoin. And and this is one way that 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 can happen that that can become a reality. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that it's not that bad of a, a bad you know degree of centralization because yeah. I mean they're 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 operating to kind of back up you know and also in in a legal sense to kind of support or you know kind of provide a united front against this kind of against any kind of aggression you know aggressions against uh, right. Bitcoin. And we, well, and we've seen that with the uh, California cease and desist uh, threat letter that the Bitcoin Foundation got after their conference, the Future of Payments conference, mm-hmm. and then the Bitcoin Foundation replied and they didn't have to but they chose to make their reply public right and they kind of want to they, the reason they're they, they, i think that's a very conscious decision to help other companies who get in these same situations and i was reading well we have it linked in the show notes on john's blog but it sounds like they're going to get involved in other legal I- cases to help the bitcoin defendant in those cases as well so they're they're not just focused on their legal matters but they're helping other comp- legitimate bitcoin companies who are being attacked through the legal system they're going to come to their defense too as much as they can right I, right i think that's a noble cause too yeah and it should be a benefit i don't see any you know it could become i mean it's the potential to come, become evil later on i guess but i mean for right now from what i see at least you know what they're what they're doing or what they're they plan to do or what they're you know should be good i be am positive. honestly a little worried that they do become a little you know, too political, a little too, you know, sometimes, sometimes groups of people just get together and uh, you never know, but for yeah, now, yeah, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. I want to talk about something I'm pretty excited about. We take flatter on some of our show pages, the Linux action show being one of them and flatter. It was an interesting thing to watch on Twitter. I believe it was the CEO of flatter. He was kind of musing about how he liked Bitcoin, but a couple of things he didn't quite get a couple of things that he felt were barriers to being able to use it. Now, if you're not familiar with flatter, their idea is, you put an embeddable badge. It might, might you, if you remember the dig button, it kind of looks like that, and it's just a little badge that if you have a flatter account, you, you you smack the little button, and you have automatically allocated a portion of your monthly flatter budget to that content creator. A lot of podcasters will embed flatter buttons on their site, and then you log into flatter.com and you set up payment there, like a link it to a PayPal or whatever you want to link it to. And then you fund that one Flatter account. And then by visiting these other sites, you slap the Flatter button. And you, depending on how many times you slap that button, you allocate that much proportionally of your Flatter budget to them. So now one of the ways you can fund your Flatter account is through Bitcoin. So even though, so this is actually really kind of great because the content creator doesn't have to accept Bitcoin themselves. You can still support them using Bitcoin. Flatter will do the translation in the background. And the content creator gets paid. I, I I like Flatter. It hasn't really taken off as much as I'd like. Um, and most like you know for most markets like ours, it's just people just would don't prefer to donate Bitcoin directly. I'd prefer to get Bitcoin directly. But I think it's really great because there's a lot of content creators out there, artists, comic book creators use this, podcasters that don't know about Bitcoin, don't get Bitcoin, 
still lets you support them by using Bitcoin. And I, I think that's really great. And the cool thing about it is the CEO was sort of on the fence. People picked up on it on the Bitcoin subreddit and organized a kind of a, a campaign, I guess you could call it, to convince him to try it out. In fact, um, here's a quote from their blog post. Apparently, the great community around Bitcoin wants us to add Bitcoin funding. The nagging has sometimes been skilled like that of an old lady. As you asked for it, you got it. We are happy to tell you that we you can now fund your accounts with Bitcoin. Just pick up uh, on one. It's just on their ad funds page. It's just one of the options now. It'd be great, too, if they let you pull out in Bitcoin. I do not believe that is the case at the moment. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. So, you're, yeah, you're dropping your Bitcoin in, then it goes to USD. And then so that, you know, the receivers don't have to actually use Bitcoins. And yeah. they, they get their dollars on the other end. But uh, sounds cool. Yeah. Sounds cool. Uh, so um, before we talk about the uh, hidden exchanges that uh, seem to be popping up and flourishing, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, Winklevoss twins. They uh, they came out with this ETF this ETF uh, product that they're gonna, they're allowing people to buy these baskets of bitcoins right right and it's sort of a fund and they're going to manage it for you and oh my goodness Drew it has been it has been awful you know first I'm going to do is let's let's play a clip uh, the Winklevoss twins sat down with TechCrunch it's about a 20 minute clip or a 20 minute interview I clipped it down to just a couple of minutes but we'll link to the full thing in the show notes. Um, and, uh, this will kind of, this will kind of set everybody up with their history with Bitcoin and where their heads are at. And then we'll sort of analyze the story after we hear that. Hi, you're watching TechCrunch TV. I'm Colleen Taylor. Joining me in the studio today are Cameron Winklevoss and Tyler Winklevoss, the gentleman behind Winklevoss Capital. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So our first investment was, uh, SumZero. It's a community of buy-side investment professionals. Uh, our next one was Huckster, which is a tool that allows shoppers to track items for sales when they go on sale and it alerts you by email or text. And our uh, latest interest has been a lot in Bitcoin and BitInstant, which is a retail gateway to buy and sell Bitcoin. Right. And, and yeah, so we had reported on the BitInstant startup, and I want to talk about that company in itself. But I also just want to talk about your interest in Bitcoin. Um, you gave the keynote speech here at the annual Bitcoin conference in San Francisco, or in, in Sil Silicon Valley, which is a huge deal. Um, Winklevoss Capital owns approximately 1% of all outstanding Bitcoins. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So big bets here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> can you just take me back to when you first found out about Bitcoin? What did you think of it? Who, what was the introduction? So uh, last summer, um, Tyler and I were on vacation, and uh, um, an in individual who's a friend of a friend approached us and said, you know, introduce himself, said hello, and then uh, we started talking, and, you know, we had a bit of a conversation about digital currency. And then when we got back stateside, he sent some material over, and I started reading through it. And I looked at Tyler, and I said, you know, this is either completely made up and kind of a pie in the sky idea or there's something really big here and then we started to dig in and one thing led, led to the next and um, we sort of were at a situation where you know do we invest in the currency do we try and find a company in the ecosystem and we we sort of concluded that uh, we wanted to do both okay and you bought this big stake in Bitcoin how is that stake doing how has the the currency changed uh, since the time you bought it so we started buying um, in the high single digits. Um, <clears throat> so we've done, you know, the price actually, I haven't looked at it today, um, but it's been hovering around 100, 110. So it's been a good gain um, so far. But we, we're still very bullish on Bitcoin. We think it's really early days. And I think that um, there's a really bright future ahead for it. Now, 
what is the the thing that you look for in a Bitcoin startup? What made you invest in BitInstant? There are a lot of companies and exchanges and websites <coughs> popping up uh, almost every day, it seems. Well, I think um, what we'd look at in a Bitcoin startup is, is what we look at in any startup. Look at the leadership, the entrepreneurs. Um, with respect to Bitcoin, regulation is obviously a big question. Um, for a lot of people, and nobody really has the answer right now. Um, it's still evolving, but what you do want is a company that sort of takes that seriously and understands that there's the technology element, um, there's building the company, and then there's also creating the company that regulators, that works with regulators, and they're happy, um, and they sort of um, work together to be compliant. Okay. And so that's bit instant. It's, it's not this sort of completely underground thing. It's, it's no, I up. think that's one of the things that attracted to us. Um, they're not sort of in, they're sort of not offshore. They're in New York. Um, they sort of interact with regulators and speak with people all the time. Um, and, and part of that's educational. Um, and they happen to be, I mean, Charlie, the CEO, happens to have been in the space for a long time. So he's sort of on the pulse and the cutting edge. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking for, I mean, I think sort of through the history of Bitcoin, there's been sort of the companies that aren't sort of don't have it together, not, aren't, either aren't being compliant or don't have their security down. And so security and all that stuff has been a risk. Um, and I think the companies that you'll see a year from now there are going to figure that out. And the ones that don't will, will, will go away. Now, one thing that I've heard is that you know, some criticism about Bitcoin is that an investment in Bitcoin is almost like rooting against uh, stability in the larger economic markets. Is this a bet that's saying, I'm betting that the dollar is going to crash, I'm betting that there's going to be political instability in, in the world, that you're finding solace in Bitcoin? I, f I feel like it's actually the opposite. It's sort of a healthy counterbalance to fiat currency. So. Without this alternative, there's no checks and balance on whether or not a, a country prints a lot of money. But if there is an alternative, then people can choose. And when there's choices, I think it generally makes things better. So it's going to help create a healthier fiat currency system. And I don't think one sort of kills the other. I think they live side by side. Maybe we'll see about that. Maybe. Yeah. No, I, a marketing I do kind of actually agree for now. But okay, so now you see where the Winklevoss twins' heads are at, right? They're the guys behind the recent funny to Bit Instant. So to remind you, they've set up this uh, this fund. Um, and now to say people have been laughing at it is putting it nicely. They literally, I mean, they are actually going as far as to, to laugh at it and to make jokes. Um, some people look at it, though, as actually a very good thing. Um, the Genesis block went to argue that regardless of your view on Bitcoin as an investment, the product proposed by Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss would give the world uh, of potential investors the ability to make a decision for themselves exactly how they want to enter the market and reduce their risk. And I think that's a, a potentially a big thing. I'm going to play a clip now from CNBC, I believe it was. They said it's dumb money and it's probably a dumb idea. Tell me how this works exactly, this trust. Well, basically, they're going to create an ETF. So the, the Winklevi have a bunch of Bitcoins, like $20 million worth of Bitcoins. They're going to put them into a trust. The trust is going to issue shares back to them that they will list, that they are listing with the SEC. And, okay. and if the SEC gives approval, they'll be listed on an exchange, and you too will be able to invest in Bitcoins. So why not just invest in Bitcoins themselves? Why would you invest in this trust? Well, that's a very good question. And in fact, I think that there's some real issues about how well the trust will track the price of bitcoins. You know, we've seen ETF tracking error in 
assets that are very well traded, like high-yield bonds and foreign stocks recently, where the price of the ETF share Track. got out of line with the NAV of the basket of securities that was holding. Hmm. Now, so, and that's because there are some... It's a very awkward process okay. how, how you make an ETF, but there's some awkward plumbing involved. And if you don't have very, very liquid securities in the basket that the ETF holds, you can have these price disparities arise. Well, of course, with Bitcoins, it could really be over the top in terms oh, yeah. of the price disparity. I mean, we've already seen the huge volatility uh, right. with Bitcoins, with the value itself. So right. why, would, why would anybody want to invest in this? Well, you know, frankly, I'm, you could argue that, hey, it's like investing in gold, it's like investing in other ETFs that hold currencies. I have, you know, it, what the VCs like to say about this is, which do you trust more, the government or mathematics? <laughs> <laughs> and in this case? Well, in this guy, I'd go with, with what you said before. If you like digital currency... Well, I trust Bitcoin. I don't know if I trust the Winklevoss twins. Yeah, he, he, he definitely didn't say that he would trust the government yeah, with, uh, not, with the yeah. choice of those two things. But now things take a little bit of a turn for the worse. Currencies, which I don't hate the idea of, going directly into Bitcoin makes more, a lot more sense to me than going into, into an trust. ETF that holds Bitcoin. Okay, so uh, you've read through the prospectus that was filed with the SEC. and. Yeah. Uh, and w there are some highlights. I, I have to say that if you're bored over the 4th of July holiday <laughs> and you want some comic reading in the financial industry, of which there isn't a lot, this prospectus would qualify. Really? Uh, yeah, there's some really remarkable risk factors. You know, these risk factors sections go on and on, and they right. list everything you can but, imagine. Uh, but aren't those risk factors generally pretty standard? And we covered some last week. There were some doozies in there, including like Bitcoin might be made illegal by the government. <laughs> you know, there was... Yeah, they're, they're very broad, and, and, yeah. and yeah, you could you could take a you know. It's... So of course, but you know, I mean, and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people have filings like these, but I don't know for sure. But they take a little poke at them. Yes, they're pretty standard. This has some really novel ones. Uh, my favorite one, though, is it may be illegal now or in the future to acquire, hold, or sell bitcoins. And ownership of or holding and trading in the shares, that is of the ETF, may also be considered illegal and subject to sanctions. Now, really? Yeah. So I've been a lawyer a long time. I've read a lot of prospectuses. I've never seen, it may be criminal to invest <laughs> in the risk factors before. Well, I, I'm sure that, well, I mean, that's just because they think, that's just because it's a warning that Bitcoin, Bitcoins might be illegal at one day? Yeah, the, the gov a lot of governments haven't figured out how they feel about okay. this digital currency <laughs> thing as opposed to their own fiat currencies. So have you seen something like this before? Uh, an ETF like this? Yes. I've never seen anything like this before, no. And, and, you know, in a way, I think it's a shame for Bitcoin itself because I, I think that the idea of these digital currencies, I actually believe will catch on even more than they already have. This Why? Bitcoin Why do you is well, because I do think that a lot of people are suspicious of central banks that can print money. One of the nice things about Bitcoin is there is no Bernanke. There is no, no ability to suddenly jack up the pace at which Bitcoins are produced. They are he, produced uh, in a... I think he was about to say jip there, wasn't he? I think he was about to say there's no way to jip the price. Let's play that back. The idea of these digital currencies, I actually believe will catch on even more than they already have. This Why? Bitcoin Why is something. Well, because I do think that a lot of people are suspicious of central banks that can print money. One of the nice things about Bitcoin is there is no Bernanke. There is no, no ability to suddenly jack up oh, the pace no, at which Bitcoin He was going to say are. jew up the price. He was, was going to say jew up the price. What? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'll, I'll play one last time. ...to a predetermined rate that is... Un there is no, no ability to suddenly jack up the pace at which Bitcoins <laughs> are produced. They are produced in but a very... But isn't that the downside is that there's a finite number... 
well, of it, Bitcoin debt. It, it's actually not finite. It does grow over time, but it grows oh. according to a predetermined rate that is understandable and immutable. You can see he doesn't quite understand it. He kind of gets it right, but then he sounds like he kind of thinks it just goes on forever and ever. Uh, so he goes on to say that people are laughing at it. Um, over the years, the fund industry watchers have laughed about a lot of wild investment ideas. This is according to uh, the News Tribune. 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 <laughs> So when Fund Observer started laughing recently after seeing the registration papers for the Wickelvoss Bitcoin Trust, a new exchange uh, product that faces lengthy, a lengthy vetting process from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Committee, the question, which was laughter at first, or who will laugh first and who will laugh last, right now, the media is laughing first. They go on to talk about how they've literally been passing around as almost like, you know, look at this joke. Like it's, it's kind of gone viral inside their little industry. I don't know if that's really fair. I'll give you a, I got a conspiracy theory for you. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Got bits some bacon. Oh, bacon. well, I don't, I don't have any uh, bacon. It's, not, it's, not, it's too not hot to cook. Bacon? It's too hot. Oh, uh, true. Good Here's point. just yeah, a potential yeah. possibility. A, number one, this could be, we don't have fees. We don't know a lot of the terms yet. This could be a way for, you know, large movers to get in the market. And the, the Winklevoss twins want to be market makers. Here's the other possibility that I don't like as much. Don't necessarily think it's true, but it's something worth considering. We don't really know what their motivations are. And we don't we don't know if We're you want to be clear on what they're going to be doing with it, right? If, let's just say you had, you know, millions of dollars worth of bitcoins and you wanted to unload these bitcoins, but you didn't A want to bring the market down because then you lose you lower the value before you can unload them all and B Let's say you had so many Bitcoins that there wasn't even an exchange in existence that had the capacity to handle your sell-off. Hmm. So maybe you create this fund to get a bunch of Bitcoin people interested in buying to essentially sell and get rid of your Bitcoins without pumping the market and, by, and essentially creating your own exchange directly. And it's, it's sort of a way to divest in a currency that you invested in. So maybe they think bitcoins on a long decline for a while maybe they think it's sort of a repeat of the 2011 cycle where it's going to take like a year before it starts to come back up again yeah i see what you're getting at and maybe the way they get rid of this money while it's still worth something because remember they bought when it was real low so even if they're yeah, selling he said, out, he said that high, well he said the high double digits right yeah so it. yeah I, i've heard 11 i've heard 12 i've heard they started buying at five i've heard all oh. i've heard all kinds of things i'm sure they bought if you bought if you if they if they actually owned one percent of the bitcoins out there if that's actually true then I'm sure they bought for a, a, a large range at a large price. But either way, it's substantially lower than what it's at right now. So even if they start selling now, they're still making a handsome profit. And it's sort of a way to deleverage yourself without affecting the value and price of the thing you're deleveraging from. Yeah, I see what you're getting at. So they're, they're, they're slowly pulling out. They're, they're, it's, it would give them the ability possibly to slowly pull out without right. negatively affecting the markets. Right. And if things go great, then they continue to manage the fund and they make money that way too. Mm -hmm. So it's sort, yep. of, uh, it's sort of like hedging their bets in a way. Hmm. I don't know. Don't know. That, that is true because they're not very clear on, on what they really intend to do with, with the funds within this ETF, right? Have they identified specifically how they're going to be managing the funds? No, no, no. That, that's, that's one of the things I have not seen anywhere. And they, right? haven't, they haven't identified what the fee will be to manage it for you oh, or true. any of that kind of stuff. And all, all these pundits are laughing about, you know, about the potential for it being outlawed, but that has nothing to do with Bitcoin or nothing to do with the ETF. It has everything to do with the, the legal structure. Yeah, I know, right? Things. Yeah, it's, yeah like, it's like... It's not really the fault of Bitcoin in any possible way, like... It's all derived from the, the legal aspects and the, the muddliness yeah. and mudded stuff that surrounds all yeah. the crap. Yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, if that, the thing is, is like, they have to make that disclaimer too. If, if they are, if they truly believe it's a possibility, then they have to say that. Oh yeah. You got to cover your ass with that stuff. Definitely. Don't yeah. doubt them for that. Yeah. Otherwise they get big trouble. I got one, one more uh, story I want to cover about virtual ATMs. Before we get to that, there was the uh, Bitcoin London conference two weeks ago and one of the uh, news folks went out there and was a bit of a Bitcoin AT, uh, a rookie, and they got their hands on one of the first ATMs, the littler unit, the smaller white unit. And here's the that reporter's impressions of his first hands-on with the world's first functioning Bitcoin ATM. I'm Zach Harvey of Lamassu Bitcoin Ventures, and we are the uh, creators of the Bitcoin machine, which is cash to Bitcoin in under 10 seconds. If you just want to try it out without losing too much, just to try to see what it feels like to have some Bitcoins, this is the easiest way to go. All you need is the QR code, which represents where the money is going, your address. Once you have that, it'll look something like this. And when I press start on the machine, that's the first thing it's going to want to know. Where do I send the money? I then scan it into the machine. Now it wants me to insert a bill. So I'm taking a low denomination, five pound bill. I can either keep putting more in or press send Bitcoin and boom, I got it. With this, it's just like eCash. So I don't need to know the, the identity doesn't matter. If all I'm really showing the machine is my QR code. Our machine is unique in the sense that it doesn't require any connection to a bank. We don't have to sign up with the banks. The banks don't have to take any risks with dealing with Bitcoin because we're not working with them. Now, I wonder what he means by we're not working with the banks exactly. I guess at some point somebody's got to work with the banks. Indirectly, yeah, yeah, yeah. At some further point. On. I don't think they're using like BitInstant or something. I don't think BitInstant lets them. Uh, but good positive buzz around Bitcoin ATM. Um, I want one. Can yeah, I'm just, down. Yeah. Bring it to my town. Come on. Yeah, can you just can you just ship ship us one for the show? We'll review it. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> I want uh, one too, man. All right. So speaking of ATMs, there is uh, it's popped up a couple times on subreddits, and I'm not I'm not making any particular like uh, endorsement or recommendation for um, any particular Tor based exchanges. But I had the realization this last week when we were talking about all this stuff around Gox and Gox shutting down or getting shut down or what happens if you know what would happen is we would just if if the U.S. government got so hostile that they really started going after like Trade Hill and, and BitInstant and all this kind of stuff, we would just, wouldn't we all just switch to using Tor-based exchanges? And not, I mean, not all like the general public, but Bitcoin would continue on in the United States. It would just be on the dark web, right? Yeah, it'd be in the dark net. I mean, you can't really, you know, you know, move funds from your bank account to them. But of course, as you're alluding to, you can take cash out of your bank account and then go into that uh, that little world to buy bits and bitcoins. So I was checking out, I was checking out Tor ATM and uh, it kind of set off some alarm bells for me because they're calling themselves a peer to peer exchange, which is not, it's not peer to peer, like in the uh -huh. sense of server technology, because it's a centralized exchange. It's peer to peer in the sense that it's person to person, you know, P2P, yeah, the actual uh, P2P yeah. term, a different P2P. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's an anonymous P2P cash exchange uh, with real time trading. And one of the things that they are big on is encryption through and through, uh, on, when you're signing up for the account, they they ask for your public PGP key so they can encrypt communications to you, and they will provide you with their PGP key very easily anywhere on the, it's, you can find it anywhere on their site. They have it linked, and so like all that. communications over email are encrypted. I do like that too, and they work on a uh, web of trust system. So you have people who have sort of a little bit like Silk Road. Actually, you have vendors who are Bitcoin vendors, and anyone can be one. And you have a review and rating system. You have all of the stuff that you kind of will come to expect from a marketplace. And it's 
it's on the dark web. It's 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 brand new. It's I think it started started beta testing in June. And they're kind of making a, a PR push right now. So that's how they showed up on my radar. I think this it, it's it it looks really well done. It's the UI is very well done. The site's yeah, I, I don't know what I was expecting for something on tour. You just I don't know. I was just I don't know what I expected. Maybe something that looked like Silk Road. <laughs> yeah, not very good. <laughs> not very good, yeah. But like, no, this is actually, it's a very nice looking website. And uh, I had I had a little bit of trouble getting to it at one point, but I'm pretty impressed. And I think if, uh, I don't think it'd be the greatest thing for Bitcoin if the US really went crazy. But after seeing some of this, and I've heard of other ones that are popping up too, I'm I'm a little more hopeful. I think, you know, we're never going to see the point where Bitcoin is no longer used at all or, you know, it's anything like that. There's always going to be a subset of the Internet that will be actively trading and exchanging Bitcoin or something just like it. Right. This is a nice little backup plan that we have just in yeah. case the, the U.S. goes crazy. Like, because yeah. it, it won't just shut down, you know, that the power switch is, you know, the power, the, the plug is pulled. We're all done. Uh, you're still going to have uh, certain backup options here. Yeah, exactly. It's not all it's not all doom and gloom if, if uh, they crack down too much. All right, Drew, well, before we get out of here, before we run, I do have the Bitcoin pick this week. I mentioned at the very top of the show, it was something I found this uh, yesterday, actually. I was, uh, are you familiar, Drew, with Couch Potato and uh, Sickbeard? Nope. Oh, my friend. I can't really, it's the first rule of Fight Club. I can't tell you a lot about these things. Oh. <clears throat> but it's definitely worth your time. Check out Sickbeard and Couch Potato if you have a Usenet account. And one of these things that both of these services need is they need the ability to con- connect and query in, in a Usenet indexer. You know, because you gotta you gotta have something out there that's keeping track of what's getting posted to Usenet. Right. A lot of the good ones, the ones that stick around, the ones that have filters and API access, and that's a big part. API access. A lot of the good ones are pay for the, the indexers because they, you know cost money to run this stuff. Right. The one I went with yesterday and have been using it, uh, actually, I guess it, was, I guess it wasn't yesterday. I guess it must have been Sunday after the Linux Action Show. NZBFinder.ws will let you fund a uh, Bitcoin indexer account for a year with Bitcoin or a, a Usenet indexer account. So, you like, for example, on their elite package here, um, oh, I guess I can't do it since I already have it. On their elite package here, you go in there, you get API access, you get unlimited downloads per day, unlimited API hits. And uh, you get spot web access, which is great too if you have spot web. Um, and you just toss them a few bitcoins in your your account setup for a year, and then you you pair something like NZB Finder with Couch Potato and with Sickbeard. It it is it is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. Now you should only use it to download stuff that you legally own to make your own <laughs> backup copies of. But let's say you had Sickbeard installed. And, uh, oh, oh, you know what? I can't show it. Oh, shoot. But let's just say you had Sickbeard installed and you decided one evening after two, three beers that you wanted every single episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that was ever created. You would just simply go to Sickbeard and type in Star Trek The Next Generation. And it would then connect to NZB Finder. And it would search Usenet for every single episode. And then you can tell it what quality you want. So HD or standard def, you can have renaming conventions. Now, this is, you'd only want to do this if you legally own the product. So I'm not advocating copyright violation, but I'm just giving you an idea of what some of these things can be useful for. Also, fantastic if you just have software that you like to download, like say Fedora 19. That's up on Usenet. You can put up a little watch list and say, anytime this thing hits Usenet, automatically start a download. Ooh. Yeah, it's really nice. So nzbfinder.ws, now accepting Bitcoin, 
They do it through Gox. They use the Gox merchant system, and the Gox merchant system sucks compared to BitPay and uh, or BitInstant and um, and Coinbase. Because the Gox one, like I waited like twenty minutes, 20, 30 minutes at the uh, at the payment screen for my Bitcoin to show up that I transferred wow. from my wallet. Yeah, because it like it required you know multiple confirmations and all this you know, and Gox is slow as crap. Whereas uh, with uh, you know BitInst, um, BitPay and uh, Coinbase. They'll do it on, on zero or one confirmation, so it's real quick. So it's, you know, yeah, yeah. Anyways, love it. I'll have a link to nzbfinder.ws in the show notes. Uh, you guys can check that out. Don't forget, we have planbshow.reddit.com. Great place to submit stories and content ideas for the show over there. We're checking that out throughout the week. But we also love to get your emails. Just send them to planb at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Or even better, leave us a voicemail on the Plan B hotline, one 352 62. All right, Jewel. Well, thanks for joining us from the vacay. Oh, yeah. It's getting quite hot over here. But, <laughs> it's getting uh, real warm in here, too. Yeah. It's all right. We're, we're going to turn on the fans now. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for joining us this week's episode of Plan B. Don't forget Plan B is live over jblive.tv Tuesdays at 2 p.m., right? 2 yep. p.m. Pacific. Yeah. jblive.tv. All right, everyone. All right, everyone. Hope you can join us right back here next week. <laughs>